Well, good morning. Last couple of weeks, I've mentioned that summertime is a great time to travel and see the world. And as I look around, there are a number of people traveling and hopefully seeing the world. That's great. Um, well, it's good to be with you all. I, I often like to begin with a you know, story or a question of some kind. And so this morning, I want to ask you, do you have a favorite TV show? You know, something that you just really look forward to, one you're excited about. Now, I will say the, the age of Netflix and streaming has changed the game for this uh, because these days we can pretty much watch whatever we want to watch, whenever we want to watch it, at whatever pace we want to watch it. You know, you have this binge watching thing. You can just watch a whole series all at once. Um, but once upon a time, if you had a favorite TV show, you had to wait, right? You had to wait for it to come on. It came on once a week on one specific channel. So I want to ask, did you ever have one of those TV shows that you just looked forward to? You got excited about? Yeah? All right. So we got a few of those. I was obsessed as a kid with Saturday morning cartoons, all right? I literally set my alarm as like an elementary school student. So I would wake up in time to get to watch my favorite shows. I loved Saturday morning cartoons. I looked forward to Saturdays uh, for this purpose. And uh, I want to share with you one of the shows that I absolutely loved from my childhood. So I've got a clip from it. Hopefully, it'll, it'll work out here. Take a look. There you have it. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. All right. I was obsessed with this show as a kid. I looked forward to it on Saturday mornings. It's not a cartoon, but it was a Saturday morning staple. And as a kid, I had a Power Rangers costume. I had a toy version of some of those cool gadgets they use to morph, right? And I even had uh, little action figures of their Zords, right? Those are the little machines that look like robotic animals. Uh, and the action figures I had, just like theirs, actually did come together to, to connect to one another and form what's called the Megazord. And so, so here's the deal. What you just saw in that one minute kind of intro to the show is the plot of every single episode. You, you just saw it, right? That's, that's what happens in every episode. You have the, the villain, Rita, who sends her monsters to wreak havoc on Earth. 
And then Zordon, the floating head guy, uh, gathers together a team of teenagers with attitude. Love that, right? And they become the Power Rangers, and then they morph into their, you know, power suits to fight the bad guys. But ultimately, they have to call on their Zords because they're not able to defeat the monster without their Zords. But even then, are you tracking with me? This is, this is the point I'm getting to. Even then, the only way they can defeat the monster is to come together. All of those Zords come together and form the Megazord. Right, And this is what you're on the edge of your seat for through the whole show. You're waiting, when are they all going to come together and form the Megazord to beat the monster? Right, And this is every single episode. It is that you have a different monster every week, and you just wait for the Megazord to come, and they defeat them. It's great. Um, and the way that the, this works is, you know, one of them, there's five of them, right? And so a couple of them form the arms, a couple of them form the legs, and then another one forms kind of the torso and the head there. Uh, and that's exactly how the action figures I had worked as well. Um, and, and it's only when they come together in their Zords, form one literal body, the Megazord, that they can finally defeat the monster. And then it all happens again the next week. All right, so why in the world am I giving you a lesson in Saturday morning shows, showing you this clip of Power Rangers? Well, one, I'm just having fun and I love it. Um, But it's because this is the very picture that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12. So that's where we're going. 1 Corinthians 12. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up there. Uh, We also have it on the screen. The last few weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about how there are all of these different images throughout Scripture of the Spirit, right? The, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the Spirit is like water, wind, and womb, all these forces that shape and give life. Last week, we saw how the Spirit is like fire and like fruit. He burns away all of the sin and brokenness of our lives only to bring forth fruit of the Spirit. And this week, The image that we see is one of a body with many different parts, but each one activated by the same Spirit. This is how Paul describes the spiritual gifts that God gives to the church. So let's read 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, 
to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are activated by the one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us your spirit and for giving the church gifts to serve one another in the world. God, I pray that as we consider this text, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you, and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so spiritual gifts. Now, I kind of want to dive right in and talk about all of this, but just like Paul does here, we need to first take a moment and recognize our past experiences before chugging along, right? In verse 2, Paul tells the people to reflect back on their past religious experiences. And it's important for us to do the same. Because I think that spiritual gifts have often been a topic of controversy in the church. And perhaps some of you have experienced some measure of harm or manipulation when it comes to talking about spiritual gifts. And so I just want to acknowledge that from the start as we dive into this text. Because you see, there are parts of the church that I think have kind of veered off in unhealthy and, in my opinion, probably unbiblical directions when it comes to the teaching and practice of spiritual gifts. So, on the one hand, there are some churches that overemphasize certain gifts and require them as a sign of salvation. You know, if you don't speak in some kind of tongue, then you must not be saved, or if you don't experience some kind of miraculous healing, then there must be something wrong with your faith. And if you've heard this kind of teaching, or if you've been told something like this before, and it caused you to question your standing with God, or feel like your faith was inadequate, then I just want to say I'm, I'm sorry that that kind of thing has happened. Right? This kind of teaching can be very manipulative. It I think flies in the face of what Paul says here when he teaches that one is given one kind of gift and another is given another kind of gift, but not everyone has the same gifts, right? And it's also sort of counter to what Paul teaches later on at the end of this chapter when he asks a series of rhetorical questions. He says, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues, and the implied answer to all of these is a resounding, well, no, of course not. This kind of teaching 
can be manipulative. And I think it misses the point of what Paul teaches here. And, and I think it, in some ways it can be not far off from what Paul describes in verse 2. When the Corinthians followed idols that could not speak, and so they kind of had to stir up their own counterfeit spiritual experiences. So this is one way that parts of the church might have gotten this wrong, by overemphasizing and requiring certain spiritual gifts. But I think other parts of the church have kind of gone the other direction, by under-emphasizing certain spiritual gifts and forbidding them. And maybe you've experienced this before, and it caused you to doubt an experience that you did have with God. And if that's the case, again, I just want to acknowledge that there can be pain there. I'm sorry that something like that might have happened. Because this other way of veering off can also be manipulative. And I think it also denies what Paul is teaching here. That people do have various kinds of spiritual gifts. And I think that this kind of teaching can also look a bit like what Paul described in verse 2. Because by forbidding certain gifts, the Spirit himself becomes a God who cannot speak. So if we veer off in one direction, we end up maybe stirring up false spiritual experiences. And if we veer off in the other direction, we might end up silencing true spiritual experiences. But if you've tended toward one of these or the other, you might wonder, well, wait. You know, so if we don't require the gifts, then how will we know if someone is saved? Or then on the other hand, if we don't forbid the gifts from happening, then how will we keep from veering off into some sort of man-made chaotic spirituality? Right? How, how do we, how do we do this? Well, that's the question that Paul answers in the very next verse. Look at verse 3. He says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You see, the way that we see salvation take root in a person's life and the way that we discern the legitimacy of various spiritual experiences, it's Jesus. right? We look at what a person says about Jesus and how they live in relation to Jesus. And this is just what Jesus said himself when he says, you know a tree by its fruit, right? So the question is, well, does a person's life produce the fruit of Christ? If so, well, then let's celebrate and let's learn from one another, even in different spiritual experiences or practices. But if the fruit of a person's life is counter to Christ, well, then it is a cause to to pause and be discerning. This is the ultimate purpose of the spiritual gifts, to point us to Jesus. 
to show us who God is among us and who we are in God. So that's the kind of two things I want to spend the rest of our time looking at together. What do the spiritual gifts that God gives us show us about God? And what do they show us about ourselves as the church? So first, what do these gifts show us about God? Well, let's keep reading. Look at verses 4 through 6. It says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates them all in every one. So what we see here is unity and diversity. Right In these verses and throughout the rest of the passage, there's this recurring refrain, by the same Spirit, by the same Spirit. So we can see here that there is only one God and that God is one. Right, This is one of the earliest confessions about God from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says here, O Israel, The Lord is God. The Lord is one. So in this passage, we can see that the spiritual gifts come from one God who is one. So there is unity, but there's also a diversity at work here, right? God is one, but he is a dynamic God. And I say the word dynamic as a musician. Right? Dynamics are the variety of ways to play the same piece of music. You can play it soft, or you can play it loud. You can play it slowly, or you can play it a little bit faster. It's all the same piece of music, but there's a variety of dynamics throughout it. And this is how God is. He is one God, but he works in a myriad of different ways. The Spirit of God shapes us through the active work of serving others, of speaking the truth. But he also shapes us in moments of quiet, in moments of contemplation. Right? God is a dynamic God, and the Spirit is a dynamic Spirit. And one of the ways we've learned to talk about this sort of diversity in God is through the language of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And we actually can see sort of an early version of this here in these verses. Did you notice that? It says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of services, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God. So here we see Spirit, Lord, and God, which is not far from God the Father, Jesus, who is Lord, and the Holy Spirit. You see, it's true that the Lord is God. The Lord is one. But it's also true what Jesus says in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. And here in our passage, Paul is saying that the same is true of the Holy Spirit. All of these variety of gifts come from the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. 
This is what we mean by the word triune, right? Literally tri-unity. God is three and God is one. So there is unity and there is diversity. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet, he is always meeting us in new ways. And that means that we will never quite have all the answers. That there will always be more of God to discover, to get to know, to experience, both now and for the rest of our lives and on into eternity. The diversity of God is an eternal journey of of discovering and getting to know God more and more. So the spiritual gifts show us that God is one, but there's also a diversity in the way that God is. And I think they also show us that God is gracious. This is literally the word spiritual gifts. It's what that word means. The Greek word for grace is charis. And the Greek word for gifts is charismaton. And so literally, these are gifts of grace. That's actually where we get the word charismatic, right? But rather than referring to maybe a a loud and active spirituality, like we might associate it, charismatic actually refers to a spirituality that is deeply filled with the grace of God. Ultimately, spiritual gifts are gifts of grace from a gracious and wonderfully generous God. So this dynamic and diverse God gives a diversity of gifts to his people. And that leads us to the next question, right? What do these show us about God? But but also, what do these show us about the church, about who we are as the people of God? Well, I think that it shows us something very similar to what we've seen about God, right? If God is one, God is diverse, and God is gracious, I think these gifts show us that we, too, are one body made up of many diverse parts who have all received an abundance of grace. Look at verse 7. He writes, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he lists off a number of different gifts to different people, all from the same Spirit. And in verse 11 he says, All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. So this image is another one of unity and diversity. And I think it carries with it both some encouraging things for us to receive and sit with, but also some challenging things for us to live into. So let's talk about some of these. There's something very encouraging about what I see as some really kind of this intimate language of verse 11. It says, the Spirit gives to each one as he chooses. So if you've ever learned about the five love languages, right, then you know that giving and receiving gifts is one of the ways that people experience love. 
right? So, so Caitlin and I actually share a birthday. Same day, same year. It's crazy. Um, and, and we celebrated this a couple weeks ago, right? And some friends and family members were very kind to give us gifts. And there is just something so special about receiving a hand-chosen gift from someone, right? One that makes you feel known and loved and cared for. Have you ever received a gift like that? Well, this is how the gifts of the Spirit are. Verse 11 says that your spiritual gifts were hand-chosen by the Spirit for you because He knows you. He loves you, and he cares for you. There's something really encouraging about this. And I encourage you to receive that. But there's also something challenging about this. Because spiritual gifts are not just given to us as individuals. right? Rather, in verse 6, it says they are given for the common good. So as we learn and use and grow in our spiritual gifts, it is absolutely essential that we do this within community, among the people of God. Our gifts are not for ourselves only, but for the good of all. And this is a challenge because it bumps into are bent toward pride and arrogance that we might have about our giftings. And it's also a challenge because it pushes us outside of ourselves to really love and serve the people around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think there's another encouragement and challenge that that we see here. An encouragement as we see the unity and the diversity of the the gifts, is that no matter who you are, no matter what your gift is, you belong. Right Toward the end of the passage, Paul uses this image of a body with many different parts. And I didn't read this far into the text when we read it earlier, but if you look down at verses 15 to 16, Paul writes about Continuing this image, he says, well, if the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. He goes on to say, if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You see, every part of the body belongs. You belong. Receive that encouragement. But again, it's also a challenge. Because if we all belong with each other, then it also means that we all need each other. And that means we can't go it alone. There's no rogue body parts in the body of Christ. This challenges the individuality that we often carry, that our culture certainly celebrates, and it pushes us into community with one another as we 
receive and learn from the gifts of others. And I think it also challenges us, because if we all belong, then that means we all have a job to do. It means that church is not a spectator sport. It's not just a place to come and receive, but also a place to give. It is not like Saturday morning cartoons or like whatever your favorite TV show might be that you just tune into. Rather, the people of God are a place where we participate. So I want to challenge some of you to to kind of ask that question, what are ways that I can participate in and serve and give to the life of this church? Right? How can I use my gifts here? And if we're going to take the diversity of these gifts seriously, then I think it's going to challenge us to all reconsider how we value these gifts. Because if we're honest, we have tended to value some gifts more than others. Right? From this list that we just read, We've tended to value wisdom and knowledge over the other ones that he talked about. And look, I, I am a preacher, so of course I value wisdom and knowledge. You know, this is, this is what I, what I do. But church, and I've said this before, is not a school for learning and for teaching. Rather, as Paul shows us here, church is a body that is designed for living. So my job here among you is not just to preach or teach, but as it says in Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so I want to help discover one another's gifts. How can we do that together? I think some of that means helping to make space in our life together for all of us, to use our gifts, to bring our full self here. This is something I'm eager for. What does that look like for us? So as we kind of draw to a close, I have a couple of practical challenges for you. And the first one is to just take some time and reflect. What are the gifts? that the Spirit has given to you. You can look through this list here. It's kind of a way of brainstorming. There are some others that Paul lists out as well. Uh, Romans 12 is another place where he suggests some different gifts of the Spirit. And then Ephesians 4, which I mentioned just a moment ago, is another place where Paul lists some, some very different ways that the Spirit works in the people of God. None of these lists is meant to be complete or total. They're just these ways that the Spirit of God works and moves among us. So maybe you can look through some of those, just enter into a time of prayer and ask God, what gifts have you given to me? How might I use these to serve you? to live in the church and to live in the world. And if that's kind of a hard thing to do, if you're not quite sure where to go from there, then here's another thing that I want to encourage you to do. And that is, go find someone else from this church and tell them 
hey, here are the gifts that I see in you. Encourage one another. Tell one another, this is what I see. This is what God's doing in you. This is a way that we can be the body of Christ. And in fact, in one of those lists, Paul actually says that encouragement is a spiritual gift. That could be yours. So as we ask God, what gifts do you have for me? And how might I use them? And as we tell one another, these are the gifts I see in you. I pray that we would go from here empowered by the Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit, and ready to do the work of the Spirit, all as the one body of Christ. May it be so. Amen.